Colossians 4, beginning at verse 2, says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Uh, Last week, I contended that we're looking at the last four instructions of this epistle and that everything that follows verse six is basically, you know, a salutation. Um, We only covered one of those four and that was so dramatic. That was uh, make it a habit to pray. Um, And we looked at the incentives for making it a habit to pray first. We saw in Romans eight, that the Holy Spirit helps us, um, specifically, he helps our prayers. What all that means, I I don't think we're really going to know until we see Jesus face to face. But there's this sense in which I think we all know whatever we're praying is probably not perfectly pleasing to God at any point in time, right? Because he's God and we're people and we're finite and he doesn't have a mind like we have and his thoughts aren't like our thoughts. So the Holy Spirit condescends to, to do something with our prayers to improve them, um, which is a pretty incredible promise from God, right? Then we saw in Psalm 145 that God draws near to us when we pray. <laughs> I don't think we can overstate this idea that <clears throat> right now, because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, whatever your condition is mentally, emotionally, physically, if you start praying, what the scriptures are telling you is God draws near. I mean, that should overwhelm you because if you're anything, well, okay, if you're anything like me and you kind of feel like most of my prayers, if I, like, I always think of a bunk bed, right? Because I feel like the ceiling is too high. My prayers don't get beyond the top bunk, let alone to heaven. But God is saying, no, they do. They do. Because because I draw near to you while you're praying. Um, Hebrews 4 showed us that whatever our condition is, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, as we approach in prayer, what we're doing is we're approaching a throne of grace, not a throne of judgment. So that should free us up quite a bit to be bold in approaching. And then finally, 1 John 5 and Psalm 17, 6 showed us that God promises to hear us. And we looked at the content of our prayer. We saw we should pray for what we think we need. And I was, you know, as I am, fast and loose with the application, I just said, I think God already knows that we're uppermost in our own affections. So he's not like, so you can look at this two ways. God's not impressed when we pretend like we're not going to think of ourselves first. Like, oh, let me, okay, well, I mean, I would pray for this, but let me just pray for, let me pray for Luke and let me pray for Sam and let me pray for Matt. And it, it, like God knows all you're doing is just delaying the inevitable, right? So if you want to go ahead and open up with yourself, just get it over with, you know? He, he knows your heart. 
So we, at any rate, you do need to be praying for what you need, right? And then you need to be praying for the needs of others. So we've got the mandate to share burdens with one another, and we've got the mandate to bear one another's burdens. So when you're praying and the, the Holy Spirit brings somebody to mind or, you, you know, you call it whatever you want, a biological memory thing that happens where you think of somebody that, that you want to lift up, like make sure and do that, lift them up. We should pray third for the advancement of the gospel. And this is where you definitely get into Christian territory, right? Like <clears throat> non-Christians don't pray for the advancement of the gospel. Why would you? You're not a Christian, right? But believers, those who are in Christ, this is something that you pray for because there's this recognition. Once you've been transformed by the good news, there's this recognition that you, like, you see how good it would be if other people were also transformed by the good news, right? So you pray accordingly. Lord, let the gospel go out with power. Get rid of all these stupid preachers that are lying and, and, and deceiving people. And let's get good preachers that... Don't suck, you know, like tell the truth. You pray that churches that are healthy and a benefit to their communities would, would be protected from the onslaught of the evil one. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Anyway, and then fourth, and I said I don't love that I have to say this, but I have to say it because it's in the text. But fourth is we pray for those who preach and teach specifically. Um, so as you're, <clears throat> as you're thinking of me through the week, which I know you all do nonstop. Um, what I would ask you to do is pray that, I mean, I'm sure you all pray that God would humble me and that I'm sure you all pray that uh, you know, I would figure out how to preach a good message. And, but also, if you don't mind, pray that, here's, my, here's what I would ask. I would ask that you pray that my marriage stay intact, um, which, I mean, we're, we're gonna, we're, we are, I mean, six, seven weeks away from 20 years. And those of you who've known me for that long, yeah, right? <laughs> like it's, who's kidding who? We're still married because she's patient. Uh, but I'd pray that you, that, that I would ask that you pray that my marriage stay intact, that, that I um, succeed in my secular employment and that uh, I also make time Pray that I make time to prepare to teach and preach and that it be a priority right? because it's easy for um, other things to become the priority. Um, so then I close with this consideration. And I try to have like uh, one really tweetable line in every sermon. Um, I don't know what the new verb is now that it's called X, but Xable doesn't seem... One, one internet postable line in every sermon. And last week, it was that if you don't pray, <clears throat> you won't change. And you won't change anything else in a good and meaningful way. Right? And what that suggests is that if you're somebody that does not pray, you will change things. You will change. But it'll be for the worse. Won't be for the better. Um, so this morning we'll pick it up in verse 5 and look at these remaining instructions. Colossians 4, 5 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Think about that for a moment.
Um, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. When the Bible speaks about wisdom, what do you think is in view? What do you think is in view when you talk about wisdom? And maybe that's not a word that enters your vocabulary very often. Um, I think most of us would say when we think of wisdom, we think of somebody with gray in their beard and the appearance of, of experience, right? Wisdom comes with living life and, and gaining all of the corresponding uh, scars. I think that's generally what human beings think about wisdom. That's not me defining it, by the way. That's just, I'm saying what I think comes into most people's minds. So when the Bible talks about wisdom, <clears throat> do you think that the Bible has in view good philosophy, science, and life experience, or do you think it's something else? Well, I think it's all the above, but I, I think it's, it's knowledge rooted in the understanding that God is, that he exists. Wisdom is knowledge rooted in the understanding that God is, and then branching out from that root means my philosophy, my scientific understanding and life experience are always fruit if the root is God exists and created everything, the fruit is whatever else I think about the world around me, that's also true. So whatever else I think about the world around me has to be filtered through the reality that God exists and created everything. Otherwise, what you have is not wisdom. So I'm going to say this uh, the most offensive way I can think of. I don't believe that human beings are capable of cooking the earth. Because I'm a science denier, right? No, it's that I, look, we can't fire a bullet, let alone set off a nuke, let alone build enough coal-fired factories to heat the atmosphere of this planet unless God allows it. It's got to be in the framework of his will. That's wisdom. I also think we're to be good stewards. So when I see the great Pacific garbage patch, I'm like, hmm, that's stupid. We shouldn't be throwing plastic in the ocean, right? So I'm not, this is not me saying, do whatever we want with the world. God will fix it. That's not at all what I mean. But I'm just saying, you're never going to operate outside of what God has ordained or decreed. You may operate outside as desired. That's a whole nother sermon. You're welcome. You can think about that while you're trying to go to sleep tonight. <clears throat> I begin with God, so where I end up in my understanding of things cannot be godless. That's what I'm saying. So, um, you can see what you believe by what you think, say, and are doing. Agreed? You can see what you believe by what you think, what you say, and what you're doing. So to walk in wisdom, I think you have to first possess wisdom. To walk in wisdom, I think you must first possess wisdom. Amen. We could do better than that, but Proverbs 9, 10. Everybody go there.
Sounds like most of you are there. Proverbs 9, 10. If you're not there, you've heard this verse a dozen times at least before. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now go back a couple of pages to chapter 2, Proverbs 2, 6. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. I'm going to read it again in just a moment. But I want you to think about something as we're reading Proverbs 2, 6, and 7. I believe that the Word of God, the Bible, theology, doctrine, the gospel, I believe that those things are comprehensible to anybody who wants to do the right thing. So look back at Proverbs 2, 6. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. The word of God, which comes from his mouth, logos in the Greek, right? The, the, the thoughts and words and desires or whatever of God in your Bible are comprehensible Meaning you can understand it if you want to do the right thing. Uh, that suggests that a desire to do what is evil, a desire to be evil is at the root of gospel ignorance. When you see somebody or hear somebody that doesn't believe the gospel and they talk about it in terms of how stupid it is and how men on mushrooms came up with all this, what you, church, what you need to understand is that is the mindset of somebody who is committed to being evil. And they don't know any better. And the solution is not for us to be like, ha, 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 vile person. They need mercy, the same mercy and grace and kindness from God that you received when you first came to believe. But at the root of gospel ignorance is a desire to do evil. The atheist is not primarily unconvinced of the existence of God. The atheist is primarily unwilling to believe. So James 1.5, let's go there. Now we're back in the New Testament. Look at me going the wrong way like I don't know my Bible. James 1, verse 5. If any of you, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. There's a chance. There's a chance that when I said <clears throat> gospel ignorance flows from a desire to do evil, to be evil, there's a chance you got offended because you were like, well, I don't believe the gospel. I don't understand it. I really don't spend any time reading my Bible. And this bald, hobbit-looking, checkered shirt-wearing guy up on the stage just said that that's because I'm evil. And you got offended by me saying that. There's a chance that happened to somebody in this room. Listen, 
I'm sorry that, you, that uh, if, if all I've done is hurt your feelings, not the goal, not why we're here, not what I'm trying to do, but the solution to you realizing, oh, I'm ignorant of the gospel because my heart is set on doing things that are wrong. The solution to that, we just read, James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, how would I know? I get mad when people say things that are true. That's how you know. If you lack wisdom, ask God. He gives generously without reproach. That means God doesn't give wisdom like, well, you, should, you know, it's a shame you didn't ask 15 years ago, you buffoon. That's not how God operates. God gives generously without reproach. Not like I do as a father. So... Ask God, right? Proverbs 19.20. Sorry to make you have to jump back, but these things come to me in the order they come to me, right? Proverbs 19.20. Oh, wait. It might help if I put on my glasses. Oh, that was 29. Yeah, 20. Proverbs 19.20. Listen to advice. How are we doing? Well, if you're under the age of about 25 and you're a male, you're all, you just stumbled. So let's go back and hit it again. And I know because I was there. Listen to advice and accept instruction. Pretend that the Bible is straight from the heart and mouth of God. Pretend that for just a second. Here's what he's saying to you. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Now, I believe that the Bible is straight from the heart and, and mouth and mind of God. But I'm just trying to appeal to those of you who don't to imagine for a moment that it does. And the Bible says, listen to advice, accept instruction, that you may gain wisdom for or in the future. Pay attention to good teaching. I mean, how could you discern whether it is or not if you don't pay attention? Good. Whether it is good teaching or not. There's all kinds of teaching. How do you know if it's good? Well, it begins with the fear of the Lord. The presupposition of the teacher must be that God is and that he created everything. And if we start there and then build up the teaching... Assuming that the teacher holds that view, it'll probably be okay because the fruit of whatever understanding that teacher has will be rooted in the idea that God is and that he created everything. So pay attention to good teaching. Once you gain the wisdom from good advice, good teaching, or the word of God, those are the three sources. Once you gain the wisdom, then you apply the wisdom which your Bible is suggesting in Colossians 4 has something to do with time. Did you see it? So run back to Colossians 4, verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. I'll come back and deal with outsiders in a few minutes. We have a great parallel passage in Ephesians 5. So if you're in Colossians, you just have to go back a couple of pages to get to Ephesians 5. 
5, 15. Look. Ephesians 5, 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. We want to have wisdom. We good? We okay, everybody? Okay. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's a very nice parallel passage with Colossians 4, 5. Colossians 4, 5 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Ephesians 5, 15 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. All right, listen, please. What I'm suggesting is the application of wisdom has something to do with how you use your time. The application of wisdom has something to do with how you use your time. Um, And I'm sure many good teachers would go on for about 10 minutes speaking in terms of what activities you engage in. Don't play video games or watch TikTok, right? Good teachers. And, I'm, and I'll do that someday. I'll, I'll be older and I'll come back to this passage and I'll be more worn out and I'll be like, you kids. And I'll point the bony finger and you'll be like, I wish this guy would retire. <laughs> I don't think that's our biggest problem. I don't think it's how you spend your time in the sense of what activities you're engaged in. It is a problem. I don't think it's the biggest problem because we, like, our culture can't even get to practical application here because we have a psychological brokenness in regards to time and the use of it that drives the activities that we're engaged in. <clears throat> what I just said was quite a mouthful. I don't think that... that on average, if I get, if like if the high school, let's say Platteview High School is like, we want you to come and speak to all the kids. We're going to bring them all in the auditorium and do an assembly. And I came in and went, y'all spent too much time on TikTok and it's ruining you emotionally. Like they're not going to listen to that, right? Because there's an issue that comes before that. Hi, I'm also somebody that spends too much time on TikTok, okay? But there's an issue that comes before that. We have a psychological brokenness in regards to time and the use of it. And it's that brokenness that drives what we choose to spend it on. So our generation has decided uh, that nothing matters. Nothing that I do matters. That's, I'm just stating the obvious. From observing what our culture engages in, it's obvious to me that they believe nothing you do actually matters. And this is, again, the atheistic mindset. If I'm, if I'm, not, <laughs> if I'm not accountable for my actions because there is no authority to judge, so to speak, who will dole out consequences, then it doesn't matter how I use my time. If I'm not accountable because there is no judge, then it doesn't matter how I use my time. Does that make sense? That's our culture. Translation. I don't have to take responsibility for anything. 
Translation, nothing's my fault. Or we could say it this way, it doesn't matter what I do because there is no moral standard. The person who lives with the mindset that nothing matters lives in near constant resentment though because the reality of life is different. I'm not accountable, nothing matters. Okay, why are there consequences to your actions then? Because of capitalism. <laughs> the economic system of this country is, keeps people poor while the rich get richer. Okay, fine, blame capitalism. But let's take you, let's put you in the wilderness, no capitalism, just you and survival, right? If nothing matters and you don't work to build a shelter, you're going to die. It has nothing to do with capitalism. If nothing matters and you don't hunt for some food or forage for some berries or whatever, you're going to starve. Consequences. It has nothing to do with capitalism. If you don't find water, you die. Capitalism has nothing to do with it, right? Things matter. You know because there's consequences. Actions have consequences. Lack of action has consequences. And everybody's like, thanks for the third grade philosophy lesson. (laughs) But it matters how you spend your time and what you choose to do. And this is a rule of nature, not philosophy or religion. Okay? What I want us to see is that poor priorities flow from a heart-bound belief that there is no judge. Poor priorities flow from a heart-bound belief that there is no judge. To whatever degree you can't get your life in order, I'm telling you it's because you think there is no judge. Why can't I get my life in order? Because you think you're not accountable. You think there's not a moment going to come where you have to give an excuse for why you're in the situation you're in. So what you do is blame everybody else. Now, is that not our culture? I mean, doesn't abortion kind of prove this? Oh, here he goes again. What you do or do not do will be determined by who you are trying to please. How's that? What you do or do not do will be determined by who you are trying to please. And our culture is trying to please the self. It's godless unwise. There is no God. There is no judge. There is no one to whom I will give an account. What you get is a culture in utter decay. That's why we are where we are. Now, if you're wise and you believe God, you decide that everything matters. I'm serious. That's what you'll decide. But even in this, there's a pitfall, right? So let's just say, here's a room full of people, hopefully mostly Christians, who've decided, nope, nope, things matter. Actions have consequences. What I decide to do is determined by the fact that I know I'm going to give an account one day to Almighty God who made me and commanded me to be a certain way, right? Uh, If you don't do the first thing, which we talked about Last week, make it a habit to, let's try it again, make it a habit to, okay? If you don't do that, 
this is, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm feeding you all pearls. <laughs> Especially if you're, if you're younger and you're struggling. Listen. If you don't do the first thing, which we talked about last week, which is, okay, you will live in two equally dangerous errors and often simultaneously, okay? You decided that everything matters. That is a great first step. Now, now that everything matters, you must be somebody who engages with the one to whom you're eventually going to give an account. Now that everything matters, you have to engage with the one now, today, to whom eventually you're going to give an account. Now there's a couple of ways to do that. The only good way to do that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Engage with the one to whom you're going to give an account someday. So you pray, you ask God, give me a heart of wisdom. Lord, help me believe, help me understand the gospel. Help me embrace by faith the reality that Jesus Christ came and really lived and really loved and really died and really rose again victorious over sin to save me from my, my wickedness and my evil. You gotta start there. If you don't, you end up in two equally dangerous errors often simultaneously. Error number one, you fixate on the past. Error number two, you are preoccupied with the future. And you know that you're being driven to fixate on the past or be preoccupied with the future because you're emotionally kind of made up of just two things, anxiety and anger. This is what you're driven by. One moment it's, <laughs> the next moment it's, ah! It's anxiety, it's anger, and, and, and you're, I mean, well, it's anger because what? Because you're frustrated about the past, who you are, what you've done, what you've contributed to the mess. You're frustrated about the past. People who falsely accused you, upbraided you, beat you down. You're frustrated about the past. Your parents didn't love you enough. You're frustrated about the past. The election was stolen, right? You're, so you're angry. You're anxious because you're preoccupied with the future. What's going to happen tomorrow? What if I wake up and it feels like I have a tumor? What if that's what this headache is? Every, every ounce of danger, potential, grows and is writ large in your own mind because you're not doing the first thing that we talked about last week, which is engaging with the one to whom you are eventually going to give an account. Let me describe this in the most unkind terms possible so that you really get a hold of it. Young people tend to err on the anxiety side. Older people tend to err on the angry side, right? So like older, older men uh, are cynical. Bah, I've heard it all before. Younger men are like uncertain. 
They don't know if they should go to college. They don't know if they should go to a trade school. They don't know if they should save a lot of money. Like they, they just don't know. They're uncertain. Young women are equally uncertain, but the preoccupation has more to do with interpersonal relationships than like fiscal responsibility. So young woman, women who are anxious about the future, how am I going to find a mate? What if I'm not hot enough? What if my uh, hair isn't the right length or the right style? What if I don't dress enough like everybody else to fit in, but different enough to get some attention from somebody that likes me? What if there's no guys, like fill in the blank with all that nonsense that young women, older women tend to become agoraphobic. I'm, I, I've been terrified of the world around me for so long, the only place that I'm safe is in my own house. And eventually something happens there and you're not safe there anymore either. This is a psychological brokenness that drives the way we use our time. TikTok. Why? Because I'm mad and I want to feel something different than anger or I'm anxious and I want to feel something different than anxiety. Instagram. Why? Well, because everybody else looks like they're happy and having a great time, and I need to at least look like I'm happy and having a great time. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, yeah, so your Bible says walk in wisdom. Make the most of the time. Matthew 6.34, let's go there. Matthew 6.34 says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Keep a finger there, because we might need to read that again, right? But flip back to Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14, uh, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself, and sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And then whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So there's wisdom, okay? There's wisdom in not being angry, and there is wisdom in not worrying too much about tomorrow. I've suggested that a lot of the anger flows from things that have happened to us in the past. Anger, frustration over things that have happened to us in the past. Resentment, bitterness, those things flow from things that already happened. Not generally things we're predicting will happen. Anxiety flows from predicting what will happen, right? So here's the past, here's the future. Where are you? You are right now, right here. But we are terrible at knowing that and living like it. In the moment, being present. So I, I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone uh, last weekend, and he was, you know, struggling with things as we do. And and uh, because I'm so wise, I suggested to him that was a joke. 
Lighten up, everybody. Uh, if I haven't said it enough, let me say it again. If you find me to be insightful, know that I'm not. I'm just repeating things that I've read. Okay? Anyway, so I'm talking to this friend, and I said, as a solution to the frustration and anxiety that he was experiencing, I said, what if you, what if you did this? What if you just thought about how you can best glorify God for the next 30 seconds? And, and this, this friend of mine, he's like obsessed with, he's like a prepper and he's obsessed with guns and stuff, you know, which I also enjoy all that stuff. But I, I brought up the fact that if you want to shoot accurately, you, you don't aim at, let's just say, the animal. But it works better if we talk about a person. So I'm not saying murder, but let's just say we're in a war situation, zombies, whatever. You don't aim at the zombie. You try to aim at one of the buttons on the shirt. If you can, aim at a stitch in a hem. Because if you aim smaller, you will miss less. Fewer misses. Think about that in terms of time. Frustration from the past, anxiety about the future. Anger, anxiety. I'm saying live right here. In the next 30 seconds, if you just shrink the scope a little bit, how can I best glorify God? Sit the whole time James is preaching, thinking about work tomorrow or school tomorrow. Is that glorifying to God? Well, we got to be prepared. I need to be kind of like mentally ready for whatever's going to come at me. Trust him. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Sufficient for the day is its trouble. And there's wisdom in not being somebody who's constantly frustrated. What would happen if you just narrowed the scope closer to just what's happening right now? Could you stop, Dad, erupting in wrath? These kids, could you stop being consumed with controlling outcomes and loosen your grip a little bit? And then maybe you'd find you don't vibrate with quite as much anxiety. Certainly seems that making the most of the time involves being present. And if the alternative is anger and anxiety, then those are features of foolishness. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, maybe we're done. In fact, we probably are, right? Because who needs prayer right now? Can we just be honest with each other for a minute? Most of this sermon was written, like the notes were all done last week. I just happened to look at the clock and went, oh, I got to stop. Because it was 11. I think it was 11.02. Here we are again. Most of this got rewritten because Matt and I, at 7 p.m. on Friday, are in the hamster wheel texting one another back and forth about work. At 7 p.m. on Friday. We're not at work. And we're not going to be for at least, hopefully, 48-ish hours. And yet, that's what we're doing. And I, I had this thought. I'm sure it came from the Holy Spirit. It was just like, why are you dumb? 
Why are you doing this right now? But I had another thought from the Holy Spirit, and that is that there's no temptation which has overtaken you that isn't common to all the other brothers and sisters that you go to church with. So if you think you're going to sit there and convince me that you're not doing the same stupid thing that I am, you're wrong. I know you are. All of us have some degree of repenting that we need to do over the fact that we are living in complete preoccupation with the past and all the bitterness that flows from it and all the injuries we've suffered there or preoccupation with the future and all that might happen. So who needs prayer? Yeah, thanks for being honest. So let's do that. Let's engage with the, with the one who holds the past and the future because he lives outside of time. Let me ask Frank to just stand up and pray loudly for us. Would you mind doing that, Frank? Frank?